Today's theme, if you haven't guessed, is Amazing Grace. The first reading is from Romans 8, chapter, uh, verse 8, chapters 19 to 28. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of our future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for the eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved if we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The Gospel comes from chapter the book of John, chapter 8, 31 to 36. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. But you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will, set, you will be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. So today's Reformation Day, and for those who... Uh, don't know much about the background of the Lutheran Church, <clears throat> and I believe that's most Lutherans. <laughs> I haven't got time today to be able to actually explain the whole situation. However, the simple, to put it in the simplest terms possible, it was simply that for about a thousand years from 500 AD onwards, the church took a spiral downwards. Its leaders became not just spiritual leaders, but temporal leaders. 
They were not just popes, but they were also kings. There were temporal power and church power went together. And it just got worse and worse. And so in the years prior to Martin Luther being born, there was a pope who actually had seven illegitimate children and he signed a bull that simply said, my children are now legitimate. And he appointed them as archbishops and bishops in Rome. That's just a small thing that says it was corrupt. The church, the church, the institution was corrupt from the top down. Luther came along and look, there's no doubt about it. He's one of the, the great men of history, great people of history, no doubt about it. Uh, his accomplishments were fantastic. His sins were just as great. He was, could be the nicest bloke and the worst bloke you've ever met. Very much like you. And yet God did incredible things through him. So, to cut it all back as short as I can, because it's not a history lesson today. The thing was that Luther became a monk, and it doesn't matter how, but he became a monk and then he became a priest. And in the time when he became a priest, he also became a lecturer at the Wittenberg University in Germany. And there was a text that really bothered him. And it's one you know very well. You may know it off by heart. But the part that got him was, in the second last line, the righteousness of God is revealed. And Luther was at that point where everything that he saw in himself was bad. He was a sinner. He was rotten. He did everything he could to try and repent and show his, his repentance and try and pay for his sins and nothing seemed to work, no matter how much he punished his body and fasting and whipping himself and doing all sorts of things. That righteousness of God, if God is righteous and I am not, then how on earth can I have a good relationship with this God? And in actual fact, the entire church at the time was teaching that very thing. The simple fact was that there were two pictures that people saw most in woodcuts, in little, not even in prints sometimes, but often only in glass-stained windows in churches. One was Jesus on a cross and the other one was Jesus with a sword in his hand. Or if you remember the Revelation passage, actually with a... Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth. The whole idea of judgment. Jesus was coming for you and he was going to get you. And, and to be able to appease this God, to be able to stop him being so angry from you, was almost impossible. And even when that last line where uh, Paul says in Romans, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, that blew Luther's mind. How can the just live by faith if I'm not just? Or if I'm supposed to be just by faith, how can I be just if my faith is so pathetic? And over and over again, all he could come up with was, God is mad at me. I'm a rotten, miserable sinner. And that's the simple facts of life. And that's the way it's going to stay. There was uh, Dante, the poet, the poet um, 
in Florence, you can go into his baptistry area there, Dante, and find a, an incredible uh, mural of the seven stages of hell. It's quite phenomenal when you look at it. And, and yet, they, were ne- they never put up any stages of what it's like in heaven. But hell, you scared people into hell. So, the thing was that when... 1517, 31st of October, uh, Luther nailed 95 propositions, thoughts, theses on the castle door at Wittenberg, uh, church door at Wittenberg. The normal practice was that you did that if you wanted to start a discussion. And since it was in Latin, hardly anyone could understand it anyway. So there were only going to be a few people who might read it majority wouldn't and he'd have a little discussion but the printing press had been invented not that long before and someone took those notes printed them and they went everywhere and it was at this time that Luther discovered and yes you can see that really well uh, the Romans 3 passage for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that comes by Christ Jesus. And that's when the grace penny dropped for Luther. We're all sinners and we are all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You and I take it for granted today. You and I think that we talk about grace all the time. We, we talk as though it's quite a, a normal word. We don't whisper it in awe. We don't shout it out in thanksgiving. We just use the word grace. We even say, let's say grace before a meal. And we don't even stop and think, hang on a minute. That's a pretty incredible word. Just what is it telling us? Well, The thing is, is that uh, Luther put those up there and God did something incredible with them and with Luther. And out of that, that started the Reformation. This this is the reredos, the back of the altar in Mary's church in Wittenberg, which was known as the parish church. That's my photo, by the way, dear. Sadie and I went here. And uh, it's simply the church where the first Lutheran pastor was ordained and the first Lutheran sermon was preached. You know that in every Lutheran church in Germany used to be a Catholic church. They just pinched them. (laughs) They did. They did. That's what they did. They pinched them. And Lucas Cranach the Elder uh, did these paintings on the back here. Uh, uh, And the one that I loved the most was at the bottom and I took a special photograph of that because this sums up the Reformation and sums up Luther for all his good and bad points. This is exactly what Luther did finally and God did through Luther. Luther pointed to Jesus. Luther said, look to Jesus and don't look anywhere else. Back in Jesus' day, he was upset with these indulgences. They were pieces of paper that simply if you bought a piece of paper and said your sins are forgiven, you could go and do what you like. 
An indulgence was a particular thing put out by popes over hundreds of years to raise money in order to build St Peter's Cathedral. If you've ever been to St Peter's in Rome, it was built by money from indulgences. That is from pieces of paper that simply said, if you pay the right amount of money, then all your loved ones who have died and who are sitting in purgatory, they can get time off if you pay the right amount of money. In actual fact, Tetzel, the one who was selling it that upset Luther, got up Luther's nose so much, was Tetzel kept on saying, when the coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. That was a well-known cry. And they really, it was really quite amazing. And that really got Luther mad. And it was also true that for the ordinary people of the, of the church in those days, that if they wanted to get brownie points with God, they paid money to go and see relics, a toe of a saint, a splinter of the actual cross. There was a, enough splinters of the actual cross for about 50,000 crosses, but nobody was arguing at that time. And there was even in one church in Germany a small bottle which they claimed contained the milk of Mary. So pray the right prayers, pay the right amount of money, you're sweet with God. The only thing is, is that people knew in their hearts that that wasn't right. It didn't bring them comfort. It just led to more sin, more anarchy, more pain, more suffering, more uncertainty, more fear. But you know, before Luther, there were a lot of people in the previous thousand years, uh, who, from 500 to 1500, who had also yelled out and said, this is wrong. The church is wrong. Just a couple of examples in the 1200s. Francis of Assisi claimed that he heard the voice of God that said to him, my house is in ruins, restore it. In the 1300s in England, John Wycliffe was the one who wanted to uh, translate the Latin Bible into English. Trouble is he translated it into, into Chaucer's English which no one can read anyway. But even though he died of a heart attack while he was giving Holy Communion, the church considered him a heretic and what they did to his body after he's dead, can't tell you here. Jan Hus in Bohemia, now modern Czechoslovakia, he railed against the Pope and he was one who said, I am fed up with this caste of priests who have this special position in the church that decides who repent, who goes to heaven and who goes to hell and, and who's okay and who's not. And what the church did to Jan Hus, I can't tell you here in church. It's terrible what the church has done and yet all of them, everyone, not just Luther, but every reformer, all those who died at the stake burnt or died horribly tortured in prisons. They all wanted one thing, to point to Jesus. 
They all understood how bad everything had got, that people's consciences had been blackened, darkened, and given no hope and no chance of ever believing they can make it to heaven. And as a result, there were more and more voices saying, look to Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus is the only one who can change your life. Jesus is the only one who can take away the sin of the world and give you that garment of righteousness that enables you to live every day with confidence and hope that you're forgiven and loved and treasured and precious in the sight of God. And that's why I understand why Luther then came up with the solas, that is the the Latin word for alone, scripture alone, not what the leaders of the church say, not what the traditions of the church say, not what the habits of the church are, not what you like, but what scripture says. I like it, that's faith alone. It's not through works. It's not through a whole range of payments and pieces of paper and worshipping saints and, and relics and all that guff. It is faith alone. And it's grace alone. God's undeserved love alone that saves and nothing else. It's Christ alone. There is salvation and no one else. People rarely in Luther's day ever prayed to Jesus. They prayed to Mary. They prayed to St Anne. They prayed to the zillion saints. And they prayed that those saints would intercede to Jesus for them. And so the church taught there's no direct route to God. There's no direct route to the Saviour. You had to do it in a roundabout way. You had to do it through priests. You had to do it through sacrifices of money and prayers and and all sorts of stuff. And that was crazy. And nobody received any comfort or joy from that. That was impossible. It's to the glory of... to the glory of God alone. It is for God who alone gets the glory, not princes and popes and bishops and all sorts of other people who claim to have authority over everybody else. It is God alone who gets the glory. So the thing is that Paul understood this really well and so did Luther. It is by grace, you, you know this one almost off by heart, you want to read it with me. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I don't know how much clearer the scriptures can be than that. And yet how often you and I try and, and uh, bargain with God. God, if only you'll do this, I'll do that. God, I don't ask much of you, but I really need this. Will you do it? A good example, the other day we're praying for a a, a lady overseas who had a sudden brain uh, hemorrhage and praying for her and she died. And uh, someone said, well, I don't know why that happened. We all prayed. But the simple thing is, is that prayer is not saying, God, do what I want. Whenever we pray, it is praying that, God, I pray that you will do what you want and that I will see that you're at work and I will submit to your will. 
And that is at the base of grace, that grace is what God does. It's not what we do. And if we want to just spell this out in a little bit better, that what the meaning of grace, yeah, I see what you mean about the red there, uh, God's unconditional, undeserved love for everyone. Unconditional. You and I don't know the meaning of that word. We don't do that very much, very well. Unconditional. No strings attached. And it is undeserved. There is nothing that you can do, that you have done, that you will do, that will ever earn one skerrick of God's grace for you. That is clear from Scripture. And it's clear that... um, It's received through faith. So grace is a gift and we receive it through faith in Jesus, even though he offers it to the whole world. And Luther said, faith is a living, unshakable confidence in God's grace. It is so certain that someone would die a thousand times for it. And that's at his preface to the Romans, which is his very best commentary uh, of all the books that he wrote. That is really something pretty fantastic. And so, what's the point of celebrating the Reformation today? Well, if you are sitting here because you were born a Lutheran, uh, then I'm a bit sorry for you. Or born an Anglican or born a Catholic, or born a Baptist, or a Presbyterian, or whatever you tag, whatever name you want to put on it. I'm sorry for you. I'm a Lutheran by conviction, but I'm a Christian by the grace of God. And I was not baptised a Lutheran. I was baptised a Christian in a Lutheran church. And I am first and foremost a child of God. And Paul, in Ephesians, he says this is how important he feels it is. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. I plead, I beg with God the Father. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The whole point of the Reformation was so that you and I, all down through the ages, but you and I today can sit here, not because it's what we do every Sunday, not because this is the traditional way of doing things, not because we like organ better than band or we like band better than organ or we like songs better than hymns or because you wish that I was here chanting, the Lord be with you. No, you don't want that. The thing is, we're here because we have received again the assurance that God's grace is sufficient for us. That God's grace is not a doctrine. God's grace is first and foremost your salvation. That God's grace is not something that just makes you feel confident. I've got the right teachings and beliefs. But it says I have the right saviour. And there is only one saviour. And there is only one 
forgiveness of sins. And there is only one Holy Spirit who fills my heart and helps me to know, not by my feelings, because my feelings go all over the place, but I know that Jesus Christ lives in me that he is my saviour, that I love him because he first loved me. That Christ may dwell. And that's a prayer I've prayed for you as I was preparing for this, that I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, in your mind and in your heart, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And therefore, because we have the certainty of this grace, that our attitude should be the same as Jesus. Uh, not perfect as Jesus. I'm not going to suggest that. Although my wife would admit I come close. <sighs> I'm sorry you laughed. <laughs> but the Bottom line is that the mind, the, the attitude of Jesus is he was obedient to the will of God. He knew the certainty of the love the Father had for him. He was certain in the love he had for us. And so in obedience, he humbled himself. He gave up everything he had in heaven. He humbled himself and became a human being, became one of us and became obedient unto death even death on the cross, because he loved us and because he was obedient to the Father, we have grace. And this grace is ours today because God worked through a whole range of people down through history to this present day who were reformers. We remember Luther because... Uh, the opponents were the first to use the name Lutheran. And so, oh, those Lutherans. And so that's, but we are proud of that name today. But at the same time, our salvation is not dependent on that name. Our salvation is dependent only, only, ever on Jesus and the peace of God which passes all human understanding. Keep your hearts and minds safe through Jesus to life eternal. Amen.